As we start, though, I want to share with you a story about a woman who was diagnosed with a terminal illness and she began getting her affairs in order. So one of the things that she wanted to do was meet with her pastor to discuss her final wishes. And they had that discussion and it was winding down. And as he was beginning to leave, she, in a very exciting tone, she said, and one more thing. And so he turned to hear what she had to say. And she said, when they put me in the casket, make sure they put a fork in my right hand. And being somewhat bewildered, he was speechless. And she went on to explain that in all of her years of being in church and attending church socials and potluck dinners, her favorite part of that was when someone would come around and began collecting all the dishes from the dinner and they would say, keep your fork. Because she knew what that meant. She knew that something better was coming, like deep dish apple pie or chocolate cake. And so to her pastor, she went on to explain, so when people come and see me in the casket with a fork in my right hand and they ask you, what's the deal with the fork? Would you on my behalf please tell them, keep your fork, the best is yet to come. Uh, Believers in Jesus Christ who pass in this life before he returns for his church have the scriptural assurance of a resurrection to life. The resurrection to spend eternity with him, but That resurrection would not be possible without his glorious resurrection. It was the glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ that makes the resurrection of those who believe in him not just a possibility, but a reality. Today, millions of people are giving their attention to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that is good. But when you combine humanity, religion, people, and time, the meaning and the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ can become somewhat confusing, if not insignificant. So this morning, in the short time that I have, I just want to begin by examining the essential purpose of the resurrection. Uh, Something of that magnitude has to mean more than just giving us religion. It has to be, it must be bigger than that, right? Why did Jesus rise from the dead? This is a question that we all have to consider and ultimately answer. So we begin answering it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 1, where the Apostle Paul says this, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have believed, ye have received, and wherein ye stand by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preach unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Now, some in the church at Corinth were wrestling with and questioning the resurrection from the dead. And so the Apostle Paul, their spiritual father, is taking this chapter 
to address that with them, to bring clarity to them. If they had genuinely believed on the gospel, if they had genuinely believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, then they were guaranteed a resurrection of life, not death. And the same is true for every believer in Jesus Christ today. If you have placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the scriptures promise you and I that we are guaranteed a resurrection of life. But the gospel that the Apostle Paul preached, he preached it first at Corinth. This is what he's getting at. He's saying, this is what I brought to you first. Look at verse 3 again. He says, for I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. So what he spoke to them about first spoke to what is first. And this is a critical point. The resurrection begins with the gospel. That's first. This is where it begins. We have to discuss, we have to look at the gospel. The gospel was not a mandate that was handed down to the apostle Paul by a group of religious men. So it had nothing to do with a religious denomination. It was revealed to him by Jesus Christ. So this was and this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is not the gospel of man. It's not the gospel of religion. It's not the gospel of the Baptists. It's not the gospel of the Catholics. It's not the gospel of the Lutherans. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Consider what the Bible says in Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Paul said this, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. But through the minutia of religion over time, the gospel has been smudged. It's become somewhat foggy, vague, confusing, complicated. But it's very clear here. Look at verse 3. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. So again, just staying on the plane of clarity and simplicity, uh, let's make sure that we're tracking with the Apostle Paul here. Because irrespective of race, gender, class, politics, education, religious affiliation, even good works, Jesus Christ had to come, die on the cross, because none of those things can solve the greatest problem of humanity. The greatest problem of humanity is not inflation, or a global pandemic, or social unrest. None of those things are the greatest problem that humanity faces. All of those things are simply byproducts of the greatest problem of humanity, which is sin. This is the greatest problem that humanity deals with and faces. And that he was buried. He, his burial proved that he died literally. He died literally. And that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Now, that phrase, rose again, it doesn't mean that Jesus 
died more than once. The Bible was very clear that he died for sins once. It's not that. The word again also means in return or to a previous place or condition. So when Jesus rose from the dead, he returned to life. Uh, This is what we're getting at in the phrase rose again. But would you notice the gospel is based on the scriptures. The Apostle Paul made it clear this is according to the scriptures. The death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ was foretold in the Old Testament by the Old Testament prophets, the Old Testament scriptures. And that is anything but a light or trivial truth. It's critical because one of the things that validates the Bible as the word of God is fulfilled prophecy. There is no book in history in the present or in the future that rivals the Bible when it comes to fulfilled prophecy. To be able to provide details with precision regarding events that would happen centuries later had to mean that someone knew the future in advance. So when we examine our sin condition and the gospel, the purpose of the resurrection becomes very clear, which is this. The purpose of the resurrection was to ensure our victory over hell and death. That was the purpose. If you continue in this chapter and you get toward the end, the Apostle Paul punctuated this in verse 57, where he says, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That victory was brought to us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Christ himself goes on to punctuate this truth as well. Consider what he says to us in Revelation 1 verse 18. Jesus says, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Jesus died for your sins and mine so that we would not have to pay for our sins. The scriptures teach that the wages of sin, that's what we earned. That's what we have earned. That's what our sin has earned us. That's the wage that we have generated. That wage is death. And this refers to the eternal penalty that a person incurs when they die without Christ. And that penalty is eternity in a literal hell that the Bible says one day will be cast into the lake of fire according to Revelation chapter 20. Now, that might sound off-putting, if not offensive, if not cruel. What we understand though, what we must understand is that that is not God's desire for anyone. It never has been. The Bible was very clear that hell was created for the devil and his angels. It wasn't created for you and me. That's not God's heart for you or for me. In his love for you, he came in the person of Jesus Christ. And he suffered for you beyond comprehension. 
unimaginable suffering and torture. He shed his royal blood for you. He died. He was buried. And he rose again on the third day so that you would never have to go to that place. That's what he did. But like the believers at Corinth, you and I must personalize the gospel. It just can't be a universal story or just someone else's story, but it has to be your story. He died for your sins. And by faith, you must confess and believe that he died for your sins, that he was buried, and that he did raise again on the third day according to the scriptures. Until then, the victory that he came to ensure for you cannot and is not yours. It must be activated by intentional or deliberate faith. So that addresses the purpose of the resurrection. Now, let's consider the proof. Because there is proof. We continue in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 5, and that he was seen of Cephas, or Peter, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present. But some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, Paul says, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time or an untimely birth. That was Paul's way of acknowledging how unworthy he was to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. But this is critical. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the single most important event in all of human history. It absolutely is. It is the most significant event in all of human history. That's a bold statement, but here's the reality. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there would be no gospel. There would be no gospel. If he died for our sins and he was buried and that's it, it's just a nice loving story. But the resurrection gives us a gospel. If Jesus did not raise from the dead, then humanity has no answer for the greatest problem that it faces, and that is sin. Now, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest event in all of human history, then that can't just be a nice story or myth. What Paul said in verse 6 is vital. Look at it again. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once. Now listen very carefully. Of whom the greater part remain unto this present. So what Paul was articulating here was at the time of this writing, the majority of the eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ were still living. That's very, very critical. Most of you in this room, I would imagine, especially a lot of the men, sports fans, uh, you'll remember Super Bowl 54. Super Bowl 54 was between our beloved Kansas City Chiefs and that team in San Francisco, the 49ers. 
And who won that game? Where's Arnold Thomas? He's not here. He's a 49ers fan. Who, who won? Let me hear. Who won that game? The Chiefs. That's right. How many Chiefs fans are in the room? I'm not looking at Rich. So, yeah. All right. We got some Chiefs fans in the house. So let me ask you. If I wrote a blog post that got publicized and began gaining traction that said this, Super Bowl 54 was between the Green Bay Packers and the Oakland Raiders with the Raiders, the ugly Raiders, <laughs> winning Super Bowl 54. I mean, this thing began to gain traction. In this room alone, you would say, that's, that's anything but credible. That's not factual. That's just, um, that, that's a lie. So if the resurrection of Christ was a folktale, then the Apostle Paul would have been an idiot at best to write what he wrote. Because there would have been a number of people who were alive who would have said, that is absolutely untrue. Untrue. We must understand that an empty tomb did not prove the resurrection. That just meant that he was no longer there. Being seen by more than 500 witnesses made it an irrefutable fact. It wasn't just a few. You know, it's interesting, you know, the, one of the, if not, the worst crimes that you, can cre- that you could commit as a citizen of this country, one of the worst crimes you could commit is treason against the United States. Uh, the government views it literally as an act of war against the United States of America. Guess how many witnesses you need to convict someone of treason? And we're talking about a crime that can be punishable by death depending on the level of offense, you only need two. More than 500 eyewitnesses saw him after his death and burial. In a court of law, I mean, that you, you've got over 500 witnesses who are telling the same story. I saw him. I saw him on the cross, I saw him die, I saw him buried, but I saw him after that. It's overwhelming. But would you consider one of the prominent voices from history? According to the QS World University rankings by subject in 2020, the law school of Harvard University was ranked number one. One of the men responsible for the rise of the Harvard Law School was a man by the name of Dr. Simon Greenleaf. He was one of the principal founders of the Harvard Law School, and like many, like many, he was convinced that he could disprove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was certain that it would not hold up under critical objective examination. He set out to obliterate this fairy tale. There's no way this can be true. This does not hold up. So what he did was he applied the principles of his three-volume law of evidence to the resurrection. For many, many years after he wrote this, this was the gold standard, this, 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 doc, or this book that he wrote. 
that lawyers held to and followed and practiced for a number of years. But after he put it to the test, this was his conclusion. According to the laws of legal evidence used in courts of law, there is more evidence for the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ than for just about any other event in history. Now, here's a man who went into this convinced that he would destroy this once and for all. But the evidence, the proof, was so overwhelming that he could not help but come to this conclusion. And he came to another one. And here's what he said. A person who rejects Christ may choose to say that I do not accept it. He may not choose to say there is not enough evidence. There isn't. We close with the power of the resurrection. In verse 9, Paul goes on to say, For I am the least of the apostles. This is what he was getting at when he was talking about being born out of due time. Again, he felt very unworthy to be an apostle of Christ. That I'm not meet or fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed. Our world, as we know it, is filled with hate and hostility. Acts of evil are carried out against humanity every day. Those acts are visible, regular. And at one point in his life, this was the Apostle Paul himself who carried out such acts of evil against others as a zealous Jew by the name of Saul before he met Christ. He persecuted the church of God and by his own admission unto the death. He hated Jesus Christ and he hated those who followed him. And he persecuted them to the point of death, but he had a genuine encounter with the resurrected Christ. And that encounter changed him forever. And when the dust cleared on that encounter, we find a man who became a devoted follower, servant, and lover of Jesus Christ. And to demonstrate the power of the resurrection, and how it can change a man at his core, the very people that he once persecuted unto the death, he was willing to give his very life for. He loved them and served them until his last breath by laying his life down for them, enduring hardness beyond human imagination, suffering being beat, being imprisoned, 
being persecuted, being stoned to the point where at one point they thought he was dead. He was doing this for the very people that at once he hated and persecuted unmercifully. The resurrected Christ radically changed Saul's life. And he can do the same for you as he's done for me. There's an abundance of problems in our world, issues. I can truly say with more than 100% confidence that there's only one answer to them all, and it's not politics. It's not humanitarianism. It's not education. It's not even religion. The answer alone is found in the resurrected Christ. He came to solve the greatest problem that humanity has ever known and will know, and that's sin. Not interested in your religion, your good deeds, your education, your social status. None of that holds a candle to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I'm so thankful because I personally am a recipient. Lord, we want to thank you so much for the gospel. Thank you for coming. Thank you for dying for our sins. Thank you for being buried. Thank you for raising again on the third day. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to love you back. Lord, today might be the day where some, for the first time, meet you. Lord, that is why you came. Be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.